Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network, where we take a closer look each week at the wide, weird, and wonderful world of running. I'm your host, Jonathan Ellsworth. I'm also the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. As always, we are broadcasting this episode of Off the Couch from the Gunnison Valley of Colorado. And once we are fortunate enough to get past our current world of travel restrictions and the like, you should definitely come spend some time on our amazing network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Now, our guest today is Ricky Gates, a professional runner, a writer, a photographer, and someone who has just a whole lot going on. Ricky has just had a book come out called Cross Country, a 3,700-mile run to explore unseen America. And this book documents Ricky's 2017 odyssey where he ran from South Carolina to San Francisco, and the book covers this through a collection of essays, interviews, and over 200 photographs of the people and places that Ricky saw along the way. So, in our conversation here, we talked quite a bit about this 3,700-mile journey and what Ricky learned along the way, But as I said, Ricky also has a whole lot of other really interesting things going on too that I wanted to ask him about, including his Every Single Street project, his Hut Run Hut and Bus Run Bus group trips that Ricky organizes every year, the current project that Ricky is now working on called 50 Classic Trails, and that still doesn't cover everything that Ricky has going on these days. In this conversation, I really enjoyed thinking through with Ricky how all of these different projects and interests of his fit together, and I think that you will really enjoy hearing about all of this too. And so with that, let's get to my conversation with Ricky Gates. Well, Ricky, I think I want to just get started by asking you about this book of yours that just came out on April 14th. So, yeah. Uh, So this book uh, just came out a little bit less than a week ago called Cross Country, a 3,700 mile run to explore unseen America, Uh, is a photographic and written journey uh, of this run that I did a couple years ago in 2017. I wanted to get to know my country a bit better. Uh, I wanted to get to know myself a bit better. And I wanted to fulfill this dream of mine of crossing the United States uh, um, as close to on foot as I could. Um, March 1st, 2017, I left Folly Beach, South Carolina. August 1st, 2017, I arrived at the Pacific Ocean on Ocean Beach in San Francisco, where uh, my then girlfriend and now wife, we're, we lived off and on for about six years. Um, so it was uh, a goal of mine to do this trip for, for quite some time. Uh, uh, kind of going back almost 20 years, I'd read a book called A Walk Across America by Peter Jenkins that was written in the, the late 60s or early 70s. 
And uh, it was something that always appealed to me and, and I wanted to do it on my own uh, at some point. And then uh, lo and behold, uh, a, a divided country and uh, uh, an unlikely president uh, in office is, is the time of my life uh, when I ended up making it happen. So this truly had been a bit of a dream or a thought for something like 20 years? Yeah, to the extent, uh, you know, I, I read that book, uh, that original book that I told you about when I was 16 or 17 years old. Um, I actually dropped out of college when I was 19 uh, for a couple years, uh, not knowing what I wanted to major in, but knowing for certain that I didn't want to continue paying $30,000 a year for school. Um, and I packed uh, my road bike with a trailer in like 60 or 70 pounds of gear and took the Greyhound from Colorado up to Washington State with the intention of uh, circumnavigating the United States over several months. And uh, I made it three days into that trip and my knee started hurting and I thought I was doing permanent damage. So I sent my bike home and, and took my money and spent it on a plane ticket to Italy and went there for six weeks instead. <laughs> that actually sounds like a, if you've got a pivot, that sounds like a pretty solid pivot. It was perfect. It was, uh, and it was, it also taught me how to never travel again. Um, that, that Italian trip, I had a great time, but literally it was out of the Lonely Planet book for, for six weeks straight. I, I did absolutely everything the Lonely Planet book told me to do. Um, and it cost me a decent amount. It cost me all of my money. Um, and, uh, I, I, I don't know how much I gained from it other than I just knew that, uh, uh, my, my travel from then on out was, uh, was going to be a little bit more original or at least something of my own creating. Have you come to certain strong beliefs or principles then when it comes to travel? So I guess number one, don't just go paint by numbers according to Lonely Planet. Absolutely. I think uh, first and foremost, I think travel is about people. I think it's about people more than it's about environment and more than it's about history, more than it's about art. And the, the, the sooner that you can get to, to meeting people and interacting people in a given community, uh, the sooner you're going to get to know that place um, and you're going to get to know it uh, on a completely different level. Um, I have nothing wrong with Lonely Planet for the record. I love Lonely Planet. They do an incredible job. Um, but they're, they're not going to do the travel for you. They're not going to introduce you to people. They're not going to start those conversations for you. Uh, that requires you actually putting in that leg work and putting yourself into an in uncomfortable situation that would allow for that, uh, that magical moment to occur. Um, what has occurred to me, uh, many, many times over since then is that we all are part of certain communities, um, I think we can sometimes think that these communities are much smaller than they are. Um, but for me, I'm, I'm simply referring to the running community. Um, that's what I learned when the next time I went to Europe uh, several years later and started doing races over there and, and, and immediately uh, got to know my people. Um, and, and you don't even have to speak the same language. You just have to show up at a starting line in Italy and all of a sudden, uh, you're surrounded by uh, a whole bunch of uh, your closest friends. So 
that was that was my little takeaway from that trip. Uh, I was glad to have seen, uh, you know, the David statue. I was glad to have seen uh, the Sistine Chapel and all of these things. Um, but it's been on my subsequent trips to Europe when I'm actually hanging out with Italians uh, that uh, that I I find my journeys to be much more rich. Back to the book. I think there's something about our present uh, shelter-in-place situation that has maybe made this book feel even more sort of captivating. You're kind of getting to be our tour guide right now in a time when maybe many of us aren't really going out and meeting a whole bunch of new people. Yeah, I think you're totally right. It's, uh, I think we all want to be careful right now to... Uh, to point out any sort of silver linings to this pandemic. Um, they are there. Um, and, and I think that you hit the nail on the head right there um, in that this book is, is quite possibly really well-timed. I, I put this book together, um, both photographs and words, um, with the intention of providing the public with a journey across the country that perhaps most of us, based on our, um, our earnings, our family situation, whether we've got kids at home or parents that we're taken care of, um, any number of reasons um, that we can't take this journey right now. And, and um, when I set off from Folly Beach, South Carolina a few years ago um, with camera and my iPhone for taking notes, um, I really wanted to try and paint a picture of the United States that uh, would maybe not uh, suffice as the journey itself, but uh, kind of give people um, a little tidbit of the journey uh, that, that may or may not be able to take the journey on themselves. It's really interesting, too, I think right now, and frankly, I mean, maybe this is just, maybe not, this isn't a right now question. This is just more of an all the time type of thing. But it's like, if you're reading the newspaper at all, we certainly still seem to be stuck in a time where there's a bit of this like, quote unquote, us versus them. And, you know, we still are kind of doing this binary type of thing where however we define it, right? And it's like literally everyone listening to this conversation right now, whatever end of the spectrum you live on or wherever you live, you probably have, I think we, I think you know what I mean, like this defined sense of like, ugh, those people. And we know this, we kind of talk about this, but I still find it interesting how frequently we're doing this and I think we do this all the time, but we're certainly doing it right now, right? So we're, we can't believe that some people can't believe that there's folks who think that our president is doing a good job. And there's other people out there who can't believe that there's dummies who are staying inside and on and on. And I think that one of the really interesting things that you actually went and did was Let's just go have individual conversations and, and see what we learn, see where that gets us. I think this is one of those things that, I don't know, it's easy to say, right? Like if we just talk to people and there's a kind of, I think there's sometimes an easy way to kind of romanticize that. So I guess my question here is, I just want to hear you talk a little bit more about 
all of these many, many interactions you actually had and where you kind of came out, you know, having gone through this pretty remarkable experience. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I think it's important to note that uh, the more divided we are, the easier it is to uh, take control of the narrative. Um, and that's not a mystery to a lot of politicians and a lot of media. So I don't think this uh, time that we're living in is unique to right now. Um, I think that it has been building for a while, and I don't think that it's just Donald Trump that creates it, or if it's just left-wing media that creates it. I think that a lot of people are guilty of this. What I wanted to do, and what I want to do currently to this day, is to go in and talk to people that I disagree with, and talk to people that I very obviously disagree with. Um, how easy is it to actually go up to someone? So for me, I, I mean, it's no mystery that I'm, um, I'm pretty much on the left side of uh, the political spectrum. How easy is it for me to go up to someone in the, in the market wearing a, a red MAGA hat and just jump right into politics and get an honest answer out of them? Like you're already wearing this emblem of, of divide and putting yourself on, on one side of the aisle, like the conversation is immediately not going to go very well, but take me in a, in the middle of Kansas or in the middle of, uh, Arkansas with a long beard, um, wearing strange clothes in a backpack. And I've got my, my hiking or my running sticks in my hand. Um, and th going up to the same person, and saying, how are you? How are you doing today? Um, and not bringing up politics whatsoever and seeing where that conversation goes. It's going to be a completely different conversation. And that's kind of what my goal was when I went across the country is to um, maybe not force the conversation of politics on people, just have regular conversations that I wouldn't normally be, ha be able to have on a day-to-day -day basis and see where they go. And the truth is, is that I, um, across the country, uh, politics really didn't come up all that much, um, which I was pretty grateful for, you know, when you're out there putting in 20, 30, 40 mile days and you go into a market and you just want some pop tarts and a bag of chips and a beer. Um, do you really want to talk about, uh, Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders or, uh, Medicaid for all? Or do you want to talk about uh, what this person, this farmer is uh, is going to have for dinner or, or what time he's going to get up in the morning and, and start, uh, you know, get into his tractor and, and do his work? Um, I think that's way more important than our, our current political stance. As you wrapped up this trip and then as you were going through and trying to put this book together... I guess I'd be curious, like, if there's maybe one or two stories or people that jump out. One that I, I go back to pretty often, um, and I don't know why this one uh, sticks out to me more than the others. Perhaps it was uh, just the contrast in, in how I was feeling uh, the night before compared to how I felt uh, the following night. Uh, I think that had a lot to do with it. Uh, but uh, in, in Oklahoma, um, one night I had uh, spent the night out in the rain. I thought I did a pretty good job setting up my tarp um, and my ground cloth, but really 
when two inches of rain falls in the in the night, um, there's very little, with the exception of of an actual house, that's going to keep you dry. And so I, I was up all night long, um, just waiting for the sun to rise so that I could get going on the road again. And and uh, and the next morning, I I made it uh, twenty and then thirty miles, and then pulled into this town, Ralston, Oklahoma, where. Um, I went into the gas station, the only gas station, the only place to buy food in town. And I just looked at the lady behind the counter and I said, is there any dry place where I can sleep tonight? It doesn't matter to me. It's a barn or under a bridge. Like, do you have any ideas? And this gentleman behind me in the line, he puts his hand on my shoulder and turns me around. And he, uh, he just asks me, are you a thief? Are you going to steal anything? I'm like, no, 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 I would never. He's like, all right, then you're staying with me tonight. And, uh, this gentleman's name was Kevin. Um, he spent about five years in prison a few years back. Um, he was telling me about how his wife had left him. His kids had left him while he was in prison. His mom died while he was in prison. Um, and he just really painted this picture of this life that he'd loved, led. Um, he had, gotten crushed by a bull that was part of his job was to uh to look after livestock uh um as kind of a day hand uh for this local ranch and and this bull had completely crushed his arm and and he still goes back and works for the same people um the gentleman went on and talked to me for about five hours um and it was just absolutely wonderful to hear his story um and Despite all of uh, all of this, all that he'd lived through, um, he was still one of the most positive people that I'd ever met, uh, truly in my life, and uh, and I carried that uh, with me through the rest of the run, and I carry it with me today. I'm like, if 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 Kevin can get through all of that, and um, you know, I can recreationally run across the country, um, you know, then then I can keep uh, doing whatever it is that I'm doing. Uh, if for nothing else than in, uh, in, for his sake, in his honor. As I mentioned, there's a number of different things I want to talk to you about, but um, before we move too quickly away from this book that just came out, Cross Country, we'll have links to the book where people can buy it and the like and sort of check it out for themselves. But let me hear you go one more pass about how just the way that you've come to talk about and kind of situate this book and what kind of book it is. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's an anthropological, sociological, photographic, gonzo journalistic, uh, dive into who and what we are as Americans. Uh, you know, my, my medium is, is, uh, photography and writing and, and the way that I get there is, is with my feet. Um, so that's kind of what it is. It's, it's also personal. It's, uh, you know, I, I, won't go into it too much right now during this podcast, but I was going through my own stuff in my own personal life when I started this trip out and, uh, and running across the country really helped kind of allow me to figure out who I am, where I am at this point in my life and, and to start moving on, uh, personally and, and, uh, with, with this country as well. Um, I, I love America um, and I wanted to get to know it a lot better. And I, and I feel like I did, uh, get, get to know it a lot better. And, and that was my main goal was to, to kind of show, 
this America that uh, so many of us don't see uh, on both sides of the political spectrum, uh, in in large part because of these bubbles that we live in. And um, you know, this is this is my effort at at trying to pop those bubbles a little bit and and get a little closer to my neighbors. That was an excellent description of your book. So, <laughs> wow, um, extremely well done. Um, before we get into some of the many other things that you are currently involved with, I'd love to just talk a little bit about some of your background for those who maybe don't know. Talk a little bit about maybe how you got into running and you know how that kind of relationship to running evolved over the years. Yeah, totally. So I'm uh, uh, born and raised in, in Aspen, Colorado. Um, I grew up there despite the, the zip code, uh, not with a lot of money. Um, my parents made that decision, um, not, not so much the money part, but living in, in a place like Aspen uh, before we were, we were even born, before me and my siblings uh, were even born. Um, and I was an avid ball player up until uh, my freshman year in high school when I finally had to come to terms with uh, not being a very good ball player. <laughs> um, and so I finally, uh, I quit the soccer team and joined the cross country team. Um, I was very grateful to have a cross country coach that uh, put a huge emphasis on getting out on the trails, especially in a place like Aspen, Colorado. Um, you know, I think that, uh, golf courses are the best that a lot of communities have to offer around, around the country. Um, for Aspen, Colorado, uh, the reason that my cross country coach was there and the reason that my parents raided, raised us there is because it has this incredible, uh, back country, uh, right out at the, the edge of the city. Um, one that, uh, leads right over to Crested Butte, right, right to, uh, where you are, <laughs> yep. um, and so, uh, so yeah, that, that was the early part of my running career. I, I joined the cross country team as a freshman in high school and, and experienced, uh, uh, some success with it through high school and then went on to college and did a one year at Lewis and Clark college in Portland, Oregon, before I took, uh, two years off, um, and traveled, uh, to Italy, as I mentioned uh, to you earlier, and and to other places, South America for five months, and then transferred to CU Boulder in in uh, in Colorado, uh, where I tried for the cross country team three seasons in a row, and I came up short all three seasons. Uh, um, they were national champion uh, D Division One team. And, uh, and I just didn't, uh, have the leg speed that was required to, to make that team. So fast forwarding to senior year of my college career, when I, uh, uh, tried out for and, and didn't make the cross country team, uh, for a third season in a row, uh, I thought I'd take my fitness and, and try it out, uh, on what I love doing, which was the trails. And so I signed up for this race, uh, the Imaging Pass Run. This is in 2005, so a good 15 years ago. And a uh, 17-mile race from Uray to Telluride. And uh, lo and behold, I won the race um, and uh, was introduced to a couple people that kind of got me going on the path 
that I uh, seem to be more or less going on today. I met Buzz Burrell, who told me about the U.S. mountain running team that I should try out for it the following summer. Um, I learned about uh, a lot of these adventure runs, and and I learned that uh, I didn't need to be on the cross-country team in order to make uh, make something of myself. Um, and so... Let's see. Keep fast forwarding. I, I uh, tried out for the, the U.S. mountain running team. I made it. Um, I ended up being on the U.S. mountain running team for the next uh, six or seven years, uh, trying out for the team and making it each of those years and uh, having the grand opportunity to, to travel and race in Europe, uh, which opened my eyes to a completely different world of, of mountain and trail running and uh, passion for the sport. Um, I did that for, um, gosh, about almost a decade, uh, racing and traveling around the U.S., around the world. And then uh, that's when I finally uh, decided that I wanted to try something else out in the sport. And that's when I started doing more adventure sort of uh, travel and running. The part that I, I find actually quite interesting is that you kept going out for the cross-country team. And I guess I'm curious, like, I don't know at why you weren't just like, ah, I guess that didn't work, whatever. I'm just going to run on my own or run for fun. Talk to me a bit about, like, why did you keep coming back? What was it about, like, I don't know, the cross-country team that was either interesting enough or compelling enough for you to keep coming back and I guess the related question is, did you know at that time about the world of longer distance running and trail running, or was that kind of not on your radar yet? Yeah, so the <clears throat> I'll be totally honest. The main reason that I wanted to make that cross-country team is that I already had a bunch of friends on the cross-country team. Um, those two years that I took off from college, as illuminating as they were, um, it meant that I was uh, going back to college as a so as a twenty or twenty one year old sophomore um, into a completely different school, and I just uh, that friend group of of the cross country team uh, I'd experienced it as a freshman in high school, and I and I wanted it again as a as a college student, um, and so yeah, it was. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I can speak to this uh, twenty years later how. Um, it was really a disappointment to me at the time that I didn't make that team and, and that I didn't have that friend group. Um, I ended up making friends with a few of those people on the team and I'm still in touch with them today. So it, it wasn't, uh, all of a loss and, and to be totally honest, uh, who knows what would have happened if I'd have made that cross country team. Um, you know, I know that there's a lot of, uh, burnout from, uh, that level of competition. And, and perhaps I would have experienced that same thing myself if I'd have actually made the team. Yeah, I guess I was curious at the time if you were aware of kind of the the ultra scene and in particular the kind of ultra trail running scene. Yeah, I and so I, I must have been mm, a little bit uh, aware uh, that it existed. Um but I think there's a certain level of elitism when you're uh, a cross country, a college cross country or track runner, uh, and you're looking, you're you're 
you know, doing these workouts where you're going five minute pace or 440 pace, and you're looking at uh, the times for the Mount Washington road race, and, and you do the quick calculation, and you're <laughs> realizing that all it takes is seven minute pace to not only to, to win the race, but potentially set the record. Um, you can kind of turn your nose up at that and, and uh, say, well, this is where the real competition is, is the cross country team. Um, it, it just kind of seemed a little bit B league. Um, and so, uh, and, and that also provides its own veil of, uh, of, of, uh, of ignorance to it when, when you've got that pre those preconceived notions, uh, as to what something is or what it's all about. Um, so not making that team for a third time and, and then learning about this race, the Imogene pass run, um, and which I should note i think my time was 222 on that run and matt carpenter uh his winning time from a few years earlier was a full 17 minutes faster uh, to give you an idea of like maybe uh i wasn't as as uh as hot as as i really thought i was at the time um and that there is uh you know some very challenging non-four minute mile efforts out there um that uh, you just kind of have to open your eyes to and, and be aware of to, to really appreciate. Um, so yeah, the long answer short is that I, perhaps I knew about uh, mountain and trail running, um, but it probably wasn't on my radar quite as much as it should have been. Yeah. Isn't it funny? It seems like that story actually just fits really nicely with the story of cross country, right? Which is, which is an entire story and journey about kind of challenging our preconceptions and trying to do this work of like remaining open, right? And like learning and shifting perspectives. And uh, I, 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 I didn't expect that to be the result of me asking you about cross country, but it kind of seems like they're both uh, excellent examples of of an important life lesson, I think, if we're going to have any modicum of success in life, right? Totally. And I, uh, to be honest, I hadn't actually put those uh, together as a, as a parallel. Uh, but now that you mentioned it, I'm, I'm going to take that and, and maybe or maybe not give you credit for it. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's yours. No, it's, it's so, God, man, sometimes it just seems like the fundamentals, right? It, sometimes it's so simple. Like if we could just keep certain principles in mind. And it turns out that, um, I don't know, the world or our modern lives or something is set up for us to keep forgetting some of these things. And, um, but I, I love that story about cross country. And I, I, I love hearing about like, no man, the rest seemed B league. And, uh, I think that's, I think that's great. And I, I think so much of what I end up doing in these conversations on off the couch is it is these kind of these explorations, right? And we're learning and we're overturning that prejudice or preconceived idea. And um, it's pretty good. I think the more we can do this, probably the better off we are. I'd agree with that completely. So here's the other interesting thing about you. We just got done talking about your book, Cross Country. You have this other project going that in some ways is sort of the same but kind of exactly opposite. So I want to hear you talk a little bit about every single street. 
Totally. Yeah. So I, in 2017, after I ran across the country, uh, I, so my girlfriend and I at that point were living in the Berkeley Hills. Um, she had this, uh, this beautiful house, uh, that was on loan to her from the university of California architecture department, uh, with this massive, uh, patio that, uh, that stretched out and looked, uh, into the, the San Francisco Bay, everything from, uh, Marin, uh, you could probably see little bits of, uh, Sonoma from there. Um, the Golden Gate Bridge, the Bay Bridge, downtown San Francisco, downtown Oakland, Berkeley, and then on down the peninsula. So I'd just run across the country. I thought I knew um, a little about a lot or a lot about a little about what this country is all about. And then I'm just sitting there um, as I was doing quite a bit uh, immediately following my run across the country, just sitting um, and looking down into this massive human hive below me and... uh, kind of realizing and coming to terms that my run across the country that I had just done uh, was primarily a a rural uh, journey across the United States. So, I mean, I I didn't avoid cities by any means when I was going across the country. Um, I hit Chattanooga, I hit Memphis, uh, I hit uh, Colorado Springs, Reno, um, Sacramento. Um, But the reality... uh, of going through one of these towns on foot is that it only takes you, uh, even a big city. It can, you can get through the entire city in just a few hours. Um, Memphis, Tennessee, it took me, uh, four hours. And this is with stopping for, for meals and stuff. It took me four or six hours to get through the entire city. And how much can you really know Memphis, Tennessee, by spending four or six hours there. And, and, and I would say you get to know it's better than not going there. Um, but the reality is, is that you don't get to know it all that well. You're only going to see a teeny little sliver of it. And so I wanted to um, continue my understanding of, of America and of us human beings um, on a much more uh, microscopic level and uh, confine myself to a seven by seven square, uh, with the same intention as I had when I was going across the country. I Googled how many miles of street there were in San Francisco. I think I came up with about 1100, 1150 miles. And then accounting for, uh, the impossibility of, uh, of perfect efficiency with, uh, trying to, cover every street in a given area and in a in as efficiently as possible uh i added on another 10 to 20 percent and came up with about 1300 miles and i figured i could do that in about six weeks time and uh so just a few months after finishing my run across the country i set out from uh the the marin san francisco county line on the golden gate bridge with the intention of running every street uh, in the seven by seven, uh, mile square grid that is San Francisco. (laughs) Is it possible to compare the two experiences? Uh, absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean that, uh, I I think I can only compare the two. (laughs) Mm, Okay. (laughs) Um, yeah. Cause it's, uh, the, both of the trips, uh, had the same intention of, 
kind of trying to break down our barriers a little bit and uh, and explore, um, you know, this country, this place, this city. Um, though they are vastly different, um, the 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 skeleton, the core of the two projects, uh, were very very much the same. Um, kind of shaking up, rattling, taking down these preconceived notions of what a place is and who, who our neighbors are. Um, you know, I, I, I can think of two things, um, both from different, uh, one trip, one thing from one trip, one thing from another trip, uh, getting to California, um, on my run across the country and talking to these, uh, these, this, this older couple about, uh, my run across the country and how I was just kind of turned off by them and, and how they wouldn't really look me in the eye while they were talking to me. And, and, uh, you know, these are people that I, um, can pretty much guarantee that I align with on the political spectrum. Um, but were just making me so angry just in their complete lack of respect for, for not looking at me in the eye. And, and finally, one of, uh, the, the two people in the couple, they asked me, you know, uh, so you've just done this big trip. What's your, what's your favorite state? And I just kind of threw it out there. I didn't really have a favorite state because I thought they were all kind of unique and individual and they all had something to offer. But uh, just to kind of see what sort of response I was going to get, I, I said, you know, I, I really loved going through Arkansas. And, and they said to me, Arkansas, all I can think about Arkansas is pigs and Trump. And I'm, and I'm like, huh, so tell me about your experiences with Arkansas. And, and the gentleman quickly replied, he's like, no, I've, I've never been to Arkansas. Why would I go to Arkansas? I'm like, all right, so then you don't really have anything to say about Arkansas if, if you're only hearing it secondhand. And then the same would go true for, for San Francisco. It's like, okay, you're, so you're going to run all of the streets in San Francisco, but I would assume you're going you're gonna to skip over parts of Bayview or Hunter's Point, right? Those are super dangerous. And I'm like, well, no, I mean, every single street means every single street. Um, why have you been, have you had some bad experiences there in, in Bayview? And the person would say like, no, I, I, I wouldn't go there. It's too dangerous. I'm like, well, then case in point, like if you haven't actually been there, then how can you have an opinion about this place? Um, and the same goes true for both of those places, for Bayview and for Arkansas. I encountered some of the most wonderful people and the most generous people on either of those journeys. And they're both of those places were in places that people have these preconceived notions about uh, them either being dangerous or simply unfriendly. The left does it to the right. The right does it to the left. You know, Green Bay Packers fans do it to Chicago Bears fans, Bears fans. It's like we just you'd think we would have kind of evolved a bit further by now. But I don't think we have. And well, here's the thing is that I don't think we necessarily need to evolve uh, in terms of agreeing with one another. What I do think we need to evolve is uh, or how we need to evolve is to admitting that we don't know the other side and, and just making this first step. Um, if, if I have any sort of agenda whatsoever, it's simply to try to convince both my peers and my complete opposites that we don't actually know each other all that well. Let's have a conversation rather than make assumptions. 
I like that because I, I, I don't think that the end result needs to be 100% agreement and sameness, but there's a whole lot of room between, you know, on the one hand saying we don't want to be monolithic. We don't need every person in, let's just say America, thinking exactly the same way as every other American. But what you're pointing out is we're so far away from like that danger right now. We just literally don't know what we're talking about or who we're talking about. Totally. Just dialogue is, uh, is what we need. And, uh, yeah, to, to turn our televisions off. I'm, um, I, 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 I can say that I, I think we need to turn off Fox news just as much as we need to turn off NPR. Yep. It's funny. That's probably not going to be a very popular statement you just made, but I, I definitely, I definitely agree with it. I think the thing that's frustrating is the folks who, you know, God bless them, love their NPR and the folks that love their Fox news, they literally both say the exact same thing about the other side. They just don't sort of realize or get it that they're saying the exact same thing as the other side. And I wonder about this quite a bit, and especially when it comes to like to politics, you know, if it's kind of like whether it's a Fox News show or whether it's NPR, whether it's CNN or whatever, when I get the sense that I already know what your answer is going to be to a given question or, you know, assessment of a policy, that's the point when I don't need to listen any longer. And yet... How come it seems like we have the left, the left has its media outlets, the right has its, I don't see a big middle ground or a big, you know, swimming pool of, I don't know, independent sources. That's not, we don't like this. We don't like that middle ground. We like to pair up and take sides. Totally. We like to do that. And it plays in politicians and in media's favor, uh, to create that divide. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's a whole lot going on there. And, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think my, my own personal agenda is to, is to simply get people to, uh, to turn those sources off and, and have a conversation, uh, with someone that they disagree with. And I'm not even saying, like, have a conversation about politics. I, I, it doesn't matter to me. Have a conversation about the birds and the trees. That's a, that's a, that's a better start than, uh, than, than jumping right into politics or even touching politics at all. You know, we might, uh, I just, yeah, kind of what I mentioned in the, in the book is that uh, we're, we're led to believe that we're 90% different and 10% the same. And the reality is, is that's complete opposite. We're 10% different and 90% the same. So let's, um, let's start with a conversation about that 90% and, and find some commonalities. Um, I love birds. My neighbor, he's right uh, next to me here. Um, he and I couldn't disagree more on politics, uh, but we can definitely agree that the thrasher that's been hanging out on the fence uh, in between our two properties here um, makes the most incredible song come springtime when that thrasher wants a, uh, when, when it wants a mate and, uh, and it wants to put an egg in the nest. Hmm. So 
every single street, is this, what's the status of this? I mean, you've, you wrapped up your, your sort of San Francisco mission. Is this something you're still encouraging people to get out and do in their own towns? So this, yeah, uh, to rewind a little bit, I really had no intention of ever doing another project like every single street again after my San Francisco one. Um, I was coming to the end of, of a six-year term living there off and on. Um, I thought it was kind of a fun way to say goodbye to the city. Um, and then lo and behold, my, my then-girlfriend, now wife, we took this trip to Mexico this past year, and she had an art residency program in Mexico City for six weeks. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do for six weeks? And uh, that's when I kind of like, well, how about I try and get to know Mexico City in as short a period of time as possible? And I ended up doing eight different neighborhoods there and, and one long street in Sergentes, the longest street in Mexico City, um, just to get to know the city a lot better. And, and I ended up getting to know certain parts of Mexico City better than a lot of people that have lived there for their entire lives. Um, and I was taking them on tour on little tours through Coyacan to show them uh, some back alleys that uh, that I knew that they had never been before. And now fast forward another few months, I'm living in Santa Fe. Um, and really what it comes down to is just uh, my own impatience at getting to know a place. Uh, I moved here and uh, I didn't want it to take six years to get to know <laughs> Santa Fe uh, like it did for me to get to know San Francisco. I want to get to know it as, as quickly as possible. And I knew from experience that uh, having a project like every single street was a really good way to do it. So for me personally, the project continues and it continues to grow. And it's really exciting uh, to see how it grows. On a different level, it has grown in a community of runners uh, around the country and around the world, which uh, I was sort of hoping would happen. Um, with the help of Solomon, my main sponsor, they uh, made this really cool movie about my project in San Francisco, and and that got out to a bunch of people. Um, lo and behold, there's people around the country and around the world that have taken on this project, and they're uh, they're just really enjoying it. it. They're finding all the same things that I found that they have lived in this uh, city for ten or twenty years, or maybe they were even born there. And uh, they're getting to know it on a completely different level based solely on this, uh, this simple goal of running uh, every single street. Um, and so that part is really cool, especially during this time of, of quarantine, uh, self-isolation, stay at home, uh, this pandemic where um, a lot of our national parks are closed, uh, a lot of trails are closed, we're being encouraged to uh, to to stay close to home in order to uh, reduce or stop the spread of, uh, of the coronavirus. Um, what better way to get to out and get your exercise um, and exercise your brain as well a little bit at the same time than to, to take on this project. Um, it's right there and, and people are doing it. So it's, it's uh, been pretty exciting to see this, uh, the silver lining of, of this, uh, this project uh, take shape over the past few weeks. You've got a lot going on, and I think for the next thing I want to ask you about, hut run hut and bus run bus. 
I ca- I come up with these names, I swear, because the URL is not taken yet. <laughs> um, so I started this uh, this trip, Hut Run Hut, uh, seven years ago. I like I mentioned, I grew up in Aspen, Colorado. I'm very fortunate to uh, to have that as my hometown. Um, Aspen, Colorado, uh, back in the 1970s, this idea was being thrown around about starting a backcountry hut organization. Uh, Robert McNamara, former Secretary of State um, and also a 10th Mountain Division war hero from World War II, um, agreed to, to help make this backcountry hut organization a reality. Um, and so by the time I was in my mid to late teens in high school, uh, there were a total of 10 or 12 backcountry huts around the Aspen Vale Leadville area. And my summertime job was to go out and maintain the trails and chop firewood at these huts and, uh, occasionally help out, get some, uh, senior citizens up there, some high school groups up there. Um, so all the way back when I was 16, 17 years old, I was thinking like, how cool would this be if I could contr- con- combine my, uh, my love for running on the trails with these huts. Um, and then 15 years later, I put together my first hut to hut running experience and I called it hut run hut. Um, and it's a hundred mile point to point run over six days connecting Aspen to Vale. Um, we cross 30 feet of pavement the entire time. Otherwise, we're on trail or dirt or off trail uh, for the entire rest of the time uh, with a vehicle assistance, bringing our delicious food and our gear from, from hut to hut. Um, so that's uh, the, the first of the two trips that I've put together over the past few years that, uh, uh, that I personally go on every single one of them because I love them so much. Um, but the other one is this, uh, as you mentioned, bus run bus. Um, and so that kind of grew out uh, as an extension of Hut Run Hut. Um, how can I create sort of the same trip, um, but make the hut mobile? And that's where I uh, contacted this company called Green Tortoise, which has been around since the 1970s, uh, using these converted uh used to be school buses, now they're coach buses, um, and professional drivers, and uh, putting 25 to 30 uh, runners on a bus and traveling around. Uh, Last year, it was the Western United States. Uh, We did San Francisco, Yosemite, Zion, Grand Canyon, Las Vegas, Central Valley, Big Sur, back to San Francisco in seven days and six nights. And uh, this coming summer, um, we are really hoping to do the Alaska edition of it. The Green Tortoise Bus will be up in Alaska, and and from the 1st to the 9th of August, uh, we're going to be traveling around uh, Alaska and and, uh, hopefully hitting some of their most iconic trails uh, that that incredible state has to offer. So... Hut Run Hut, if people want to check that out, they can go to hutrunhut.com. And this happens, the Hut Run Hut and Bus Run Bus, this is once a year for both of those different trips. Is that right? I've got two of the Hut Run Hut trips. 
one in one in August, one in September, and then just one of the bus trips. Got it. And then are you trying to keep year in and year out? Like for the hut run hut, you trying to stay with August, September. Those are kind of the the set months for those two trips. That's when I love being at those huts the most. So uh, <laughs> if I can keep doing that, then I will. I've I've also played around the with the idea of trying to do a winter version uh, for for the backcountry skiers. That's actually something that's been going on for quite a while. Um, that wintertime trip, this. AT skiing is is finally all the technology and, and all of that is finally catching up with uh-huh. us where where uh, we can actually do this uh, quite a bit lighter and in a heck of a lot more fun than than the way it was uh, <laughs> um, 15 years ago, 20 years ago when I was learning how to uh, backcountry ski. So I'd love to ask you about 50 classic trails and maybe a word about Transamericana. Totally. Um, so I'll, I'll hit Transamericana first. Um, so this is the title of a movie, um, the same topic as the book cross country, uh, Transamericana was what I was calling my run across the country at the time. Um, kind of in a nod to, uh, you know, this, uh, strange sort of, uh, strictly American kitschy aesthetic. Um, that uh, was popularized in the early parts of the the 1900s, the 20th century, um, and kind of playing off of that. So Solomon uh, sent out a videographer. His name's Jared Paisley. He joined me for about a month total of my run across the country and got some really beautiful images. And then coupled with uh, all of the the rest of the uh, video that I shot myself going across the country, we put together this uh, feature-length film, 75 minutes, um, covering coast to coast, and uh, and we had every intention of uh, putting that out uh, to theaters, uh, like soon, right now or soon, and obviously that's not happening right now. So uh, we're figuring out uh, the the next uh, reasonable platform uh, where people can check this out. So hopefully that happens soon. And hopefully I can have an answer for that uh, in in the coming uh, days or weeks. The other thing that you mentioned, the 50 classic trails. So I'm definitely a a goal-oriented and project-driven person. (laughs) And this is a a project that I've been thinking about uh, for a lot of years and working on for the past year and anticipate will take me the next couple years to to kind of complete. And this is... uh, a nod to a book written in the 1970s or 80s called The 50 Classic Climbs of North America, Um, kind of a a holy grail sort of thing for the climbing community. I wanted to come up with uh, the equivalent uh, for the running community. Um, You know, these, what can I, because I'm getting this question pretty often, um, you know, what's what's my favorite trails around the country or around the world? Um, And this for me is an opportunity to, to put those down uh, in words and take photos of them and, uh, and hopefully provide uh, the community with, with uh, some sort of template uh, as to, to how to go about uh, uh, completing this project. Um, so the parameters are uh, pretty simple. Um, what can I, like if someone is saying like, um, Ricky, I'm thinking of, 
spending a long weekend in, in Arizona um, in October. Um, give me one or two trails that you think I should do there. And, and Arizona being the most obvious uh, on my list, uh, well, you got to go to the, the Grand Canyon and do the double crossing. That's, uh, it's an all-time classic. Um, it can be done by a strong runner in under 24 hours. Uh, that's another parameter is, is can it be done in 24 hours? I think that's pretty important distinction uh, for us running folk. Um, and uh, does it really fit into a broader narrative uh, that uh, can kind of paint this, uh, this beautiful, uh, wide-lensed aesthetic of the United States? Uh, in Canada and Mexico. Um, and so that's, uh, it's exciting because it's, uh, I'm, I'm happy to have a project that's going to take me a couple years and that I don't have to do all in one go. I don't have to wake <laughs> up in the morning and uh, put <laughs> shoes on to uh, already blistered feet and, and hobble out the door. I can, I can recover from one run and uh, before the next one and do some research uh, in between, in between runs to, to get them done. Man, it's so interesting how it's like this whole conversation is this, I feel like we're, we, we're like zooming in and then zooming out, you know? And so we're talking about runs that go across the entire country. And then we're talking about exploring every single street in a given town. And now we're talking about going and trying to think through um, really interesting trails, um, you know, 50 classics. And so there's this very interesting, uh, yeah, zoom in, zoom out thing you've got going here um, <laughs> that uh, I'm sensing sort of a, a theme with your life, I guess. So, I, I, I appreciate that. I think you're, uh, you're doing a better job at analyzing my life than I do. So I think we need to, I think I need to check in on you on uh, <laughs> every few months, see how I'm doing. Well, that sounds really fun. Here's a topic, though, because I want to let you get back to, I don't know, you've got to get back to writing books and like bird watching and running the streets of Santa Fe. So like, I don't want to keep you much longer, but I'd love to kind of hear about books, movies, music. Does one of the three jump out is like, yeah, of those three, I'm a books guy or I just love music all the time. How would you answer that? Gosh, they... They each have their time and their place in my life. Um, I used to read avidly. I used to read so much more than I do now. And there's a, a possibility that I, the reason that I came up with a picture book right now rather than a words book is because my attention span itself has shrunk. With that said, I, I do want to point out that my book is not all photos. It's about 20,000 words, uh, but it is... Uh, for most people, uh, like a, a, a two to three hour sit as opposed to uh, a two to three week sit with, a, with another book. So, gosh, in my youth, it was books. Um, and that was uh, all of your classic old uh, white dudes, old dead white dudes. That's uh, Hemingway, Kerouac. Um, I was highly inspired by uh, Under the Volcano, Malcolm Lowry such a great book took place over 24 hours uh, in the Mexico City just outside of Mexico City area um, so there was a time when when it was all books and then uh, there was a time when it was all movies and the movies uh, are 
um, pretty much Cohen Brothers and Quentin Tarantino. And then as far as music goes, um, I was very, very obsessed with certain types of music and like uh, Pink Floyd, like I could have listened to Pink Floyd. I thought I was going to listen to Pink Floyd for the rest of my life. Um, and luckily that's not the case. Um, I've moved on to other things. But, <laughs> um, my current uh, music jam is, is uh, like, honestly, I generally don't know who I'm listening to because Spotify decides that for me. And, and I'll be honest, I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, so d- does that answer your question? It was, it's kind of all over the place, but uh, I, I should mention that I am reading Sapiens right now by uh, uh, Yuval Noah Harari, um, which seems to be a really good book to be reading during a pandemic um, as we're, because it's uh, the, the book itself is kind of uh looking at the evolution of humankind, of human sapiens, of homo sapiens, and uh, how we've gotten to where we are today and where we might be going in the near uh, or distant future. Um, And I haven't gotten to the pandemic part of the book yet, but I can already tell that it's coming. And uh, (laughs) it's it's just kind of funny to... um, to be reading about this, thinking about human evolution and uh, I'm, I'm a, I can be a little bit fatalistic, um, and that's when I'm like something like this, this pandemic uh, on a global level uh, was bound to happen. And uh, so let's look at our past and see how we've reacted to other changes in, in, uh, in human evolution. And let's look at this current situation and see how we're going to do with this and uh, possibly, hopefully, with uh, a bit more sobriety and, and, uh, and, and honesty. Well, Ricky, this has been a pleasure. It's really inspiring to hear about all the stuff that you have been up to and are currently up to. So, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, kind of fill me in on... Uh, everything you've got going on. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a pleasure to talk to you. And, and uh, I really appreciate uh, having the platform to do so. And, and uh, thank you so much. I, I appreciate uh, everybody out there that uh, has supported this book and supported things like it. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's not a mystery to me that I can't do this without the support of a, of a larger audience. And, and uh, so, yeah, I, I just want to thank your audience for uh, for allowing that. Well, listen, I'm already looking forward to the next time we do this. And, uh, if you're feeling confused about like, what is all this about that I'm doing right now? You know, feel free to hit me up. We can go through it and I'll see if I can come up with any unifying themes for you. Totally. (laughs) I'm going to take, I'm going to take you up on that. (laughs) Well, listen, thanks so much. I appreciate it. And, um, again, people can go get cross country right now. Uh, We'll look forward to any announcements about Transamericana. Every single street, this is a pretty good time for all of us to maybe get out and explore our own neighborhoods. Thank you so much. Yeah, and and I don't know if I mentioned that. I did, uh, I put together a website for every single street for, that has, that has some, uh, some pointers on there that uh, might help people that are interested in doing in 
their own project, but not quite sure how to start. So check that out as well. I'm, I'm, I'm a website guy. I've got way too many of them. <laughs> Square, we- Squarespace is doing well. <laughs> <laughs> and we will, in the show notes to this episode, um, have links to all of Ricky's sites that we have talked about here. Um, hey, thank you again for the time. Um, good luck with all of it. And uh, look forward to the next time. Thank you so much. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks so much to Ricky for the great conversation. And you can go right now to rickygates.com or chroniclebooks.com to pick up your copy of Cross Country. I also want to say thanks to Luke Alley for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Crested Butte, we really hope that you are all doing well. And until next time, please be safe. Please take good care of yourself and everyone else. Please keep moving forward. And we will talk to you again next week.